You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. We're so excited to be part of the Create Photography Retreat again here in 2020. It's being held in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina, October 15th to 17th, when all of the fall colors will be breathtaking. Few of you wonderful master photography listeners have already taken the plunge and invested in yourself, and we're so excited to get to meet you. For the rest of you listening, there are still tickets available, and we'd love to have you fill the retreat with listeners of Master Photography. Be sure to hit the link in the show notes to get 10% off. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, host for this episode. I'm joined by Brent Bergroom. How are you, Brent? Doing well. Glad to be here. Good, good. A little, a little cold this last week, but all over that now. Yeah, we're we're done with that. And I was also able to contact the the organizers of create photography retreat and just get a few more bits of info going on and just really looking forward to that too. So, uh, really looking forward to meeting some listeners and, and getting out to there. It is, it feels right now a way far off, but <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not that far off. Not far off. No, <laughs> it's going to be here before we know it. No. And the tickets are selling pretty fast right now. So if you really, if you'd like to come and, and meet us and shoot with us and spend some time learning together, Make sure you go hit that link in the show notes. Get 10% off and uh, come join us. It, it's going to be so much fun. I'm I'm way excited for it. It's my Absolutely. favorite, uh, like second most favorite thing of the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, I want to give a very quick software update status again this week. We have lots of updates that are coming right now. So I feel like I need to talk through it or I'm getting feedback from people. So I, I gave my Photo Taco Silva approval on Mac OS Catalina a couple weeks back. And I've heard from people who have had problems with it <laughs> since then. They're like, hey, you said it was all right. Yeah. And, I, and then they've upgraded. So I still did have this caveat out there where I said, if you do tethering in Lightroom, you don't want to do Catalina yet. And that still holds true. They've, they've done some work. Some of the problems seem to be gone, but there's still a lot of people struggling to get tethering to work well, a combination of Mac OS Catalina and Lightroom. So even the most recent updates, all the updates from Catalina, all the updates on Lightroom, Lightroom 9.2, that's struggling to work. So if you if that's important to your business, don't go to Catalina, don't go to Lightroom 9.2 either. Just stay where you're at for right now where it's working if that's you. So I just wanted to, to pass that along. Um, I'm not quite ready to give the seal of approval on Lightroom 9.2. It was released here uh, in early February 2020. I expect that by the next Photogra master photography episode in March that I will be able to do that's looking pretty clean so far but I just am holding it off for a little bit longer um, same is going to go for the new version of Photoshop that's released here in February 2020 we're going to talk all about that today uh, but I don't recommend going to it just yet hang on I know the software creative cloud keeps telling you you've got an update but ignore it don't don't do it yet um to just to make sure you don't have problems it's not guaranteed you'll have a problem but it's just good to let other people find the problems and uh, and wait for a bit um always you can find my current recommendations up to the date i go in there and as soon as i get to uh, a, a new version is released or i can give my seal of approval then i i update that page so there's a link to that in the show notes all right so our main topic today, 
Photoshop turns 30 today, Brent. Does that make you feel old? It kind of does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was looking at that. I was like, hmm. So I was 14 or so when it came out. And it's just like, my goodness, things have changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a, a long history with it. We're going to we're gonna walk down memory lane just a little yeah. bit here and, and talk about this a little. Um, it just it's a it's a momentous thing. So I thought it would be worth kind of talking about it. I think listeners will be able to kind of a lot of listeners will be able to reminisce with us too about that. But Photoshop, um, their Adobe is celebrating the 30th birthday here in February. They've they've got a release associated with that celebration, a release I'm telling you not to install yet. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't go do it. But they have a, a release. So 30 years of that tool, that software enabling people to do a lot of like pixel manipulation over time or, or to their photos or, or whatever else they're working on. It's just, it's a very useful kind of tool. A lot has changed in that tool over time. So Brent, when what is the earliest version of Photoshop you remember using? Well, I first started on Photoshop 3, okay. but I do remember actually during that transition of something going on, uh, I got a copy of Photoshop 2.5, and then I remember just thinking, no, <laughs> I need I need my layers, <laughs> because uh -huh. version 3 is where we, we introduced the idea of layers in your images, in your Photoshop documents, and so... Played around with 2.5 a little bit, but yeah, it was so difficult to work in. I was just like, nope, give me the layers. That's where it was at. And that was way back in 1994 or 1995. Uh, it was when I came to school, first started college. So I was a freshman in college and entered this. Uh, back then it was called graphics technology. It was all about what does it take to get... Uh, you know, the stuff ready for the printing press type idea. Uh -huh. And I honestly can't remember if it was the fall of 94 or the winter of 95 when I first used it, but it was Photoshop three somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Some my, my memories it's, I, I have a really hard time remembering years of things, what year yeah. something happened. It's just horrible. Like there's even times people like most people can immediately tell you the year they graduated high school. And I kind of have to think about it for a second. Like, wait, when, what? I, I don't remember for sure, but uh, yeah. most people have some of those momentous occasions right on the tip of their tongue. But if you ask me about certain events, usually I, I struggle to f remember what year it happened in. So, okay, you were, you were using Photoshop 3, probably 94, 95 timeframe. What kinds yep. of things were you doing in there? You said you needed layers, but what? why were you using the software? Was it purely like your, your college and, and your education? Yeah, so it started out with education endeavors and just learning the idea of what it is to composite an image with uh -huh. the, again, at that time, what we would view it today as very rudimentary tools, <laughs> right. but still they were just groundbreaking and just like, you mean I can stack two of these items, I can move them around and they're separate elements still, you know, it was just right. to have that idea of the transparency in a layer was just really exciting. And so it was about being able to... to um paint things on, you know, you know, custom painting, custom manipulations, uh, all these, you know, there's a, a slew of filters that were available too. So you could filter images and make them look hideous, just like we can still do today, of course. Uh, but mostly uh, the, the, the things that I was learning was all about in, in that uh, area of study it was all about printing, which is kind of sort of, I think brings into, you know, even today, I still like printing. It's just, I go with, uh, with, inkjet instead of offset prints, uh, offset printers, but, you know, scanning prints, you know, so you take your, 
your negatives to the dark room. Mm-hmm. You can scan your, you know, you make your print and then you bring it to the scanner and you scan your print to bring it to the computer. Uh, maybe it's uh, scanning the slides. I just literally yesterday I was going through some stuff, some drawers here at the school, and I found the instruction manual for the Nikon CoolScan 4000, which was the film scanner of the day. And this is like <laughs> late 80s, late 90s, like 1998, 1999, somewhere in there. Super high quality, 4,000 dots per inch. It was just like an amazing film scanner, but it took forever. Uh-huh. Uh, so then I transitioned with the work that I was doing uh, as, as still as a student. Uh, we're a small school, and uh, when I became a sophomore, I became editor of our mug book. And this is a book that's for the whole university. Back then it was a college. We called ourselves a college. But then um, this mug book has a photo of everyone on campus, whether your staff faculty, students. And then we have the name and phone numbers. So it's like a phone book, really, a directory for the whole campus. Wow. And so I took everyone's photo, my team, I, I should definitely make sure Your I'm team. clear okay. on that. I had a team <laughs> of people working with me, but I led the team taking everyone's photo, getting all the data lined up and running all these images through, you know, whatever batch processing we could do in Photoshop and then I started working on the yearbook that year as well and spent a couple of years on the yearbook, creating covers and doing all of the different things on the interior of the yearbook. So lots of document production as a youngster, as it were, in my 20s, uh, going through school and, and whatnot. Okay. So you were using it for like layout kind of stuff back then? So to help with the layout, I was using Quark Express for the actual uh, layout, right, but right. the Photoshop came in not only image production, but then the covers and the section pages and stuff like that. So where we had some really customized, you know, interests on what was going on in those pages, uh, that's that's what we left up for Photoshop for sure. Right. It's a good thing they called it Mugbook and not Facebook, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, we called it the, the name of the publication is The Mask, Uh-oh, but the mask. we just called it a mug book because Everyone's that's, that's easier to yeah. understand what it is. <laughs> that's funny. I think that the name of Facebook did actually come from something like that for a, a school. At, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Zuckerberg was at Harvard and yeah. he created it as a, a directory of sorts yeah. for college students. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I did not get into Photoshop that early. <laughs> I was much later than you. Uh, I very clearly remember this one. I, I said I have a hard time remembering some dates, but the photography parts of my life are are very memorable <laughs> to me. I guess it's it's a, a telling about what's has priority in my life. I don't care what yeah. year I graduated high school. It's <laughs> right. when, when I picked up a camera. I remember that. <laughs> um, so it, it's not that far back in, in 2011. That's when I got my first DSLR, and I I was learning how to use that camera, but I knew nothing when I started. Like I, it was ground zero, and uh, as I was learning it, everything I read, everything I I listened to, whatever I found, it was inevitable that of course it's going to talk about Lightroom and Photoshop or both very frequently. It just I was inundated with people saying, "This is what you do in Lightroom. This is what you do in Photoshop. That's how you work with your photos." Cuz everything was DS I was a digital camera. I never did any of the film stuff. So, uh it was all digital. I mean, I was processing where you you needed to process on the computer to make get everything you could out of these images. 
And uh, I had never played with either one at that point, obviously. I was starting from ground zero. I just finished spending all this money on the camera. I wasn't about to go spend more money on software for it. So I was doing the best I could by shooting JPEG and using GIMP. Or there was a program called Windows Photo Gallery back then <laughs> that uh, allowed... It was free a free download. It didn't come with Windows 7, but it was a free download for Windows 7. And you could go get it. It was software from Microsoft that kind of offered a few sliders. I think you could do exposure, for example. I think that was a slider there. But mostly it was like filter-based. You could click some drop-downs and it would show you a preview of your JPEG with that filter kind of applied. And it would do various like contrast things or color things or sometimes weird things. But anyway, I was using that primarily to try to get some kind of processing to happen with my photos. And after months and months of learning and trying lots of things, I finally kind of caught on. Like, I didn't even know the difference between Lightroom and Photoshop at the time. That was, I, was, I don't know what, which one do I need? Which one should I want? And there was a big cost difference. So I knew which one I wanted to, to need. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I didn't really understand the difference between the two. Um, so I finally figured out that, okay, Lightroom is is a, a management tool, helps you organize your photos. It also happens to have quite a lot of editing capabilities, way better than what Windows Photo Gallery offered for sure. But, um, but not quite the same stuff as GIMP because GIMP did offer layers and GIMP was more like Photoshop. Um, so, but I, you know, I finally figured out, I was like, okay, so I would love to have both tools. Uh, they're different. Photoshop was like the 800-pound gorilla industry leader, and mm -hmm. you could do w much fancier things with it in editing images. Uh, my problem, though, back in 2012 was at the time, there wasn't a Creative Cloud subscription plan. I mean, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But Photoshop was like, if I remember right, it was like $700 somewhere around yeah, that's there about right. to, to buy a perpetual license. And that was the only licensing that was offered then was 700 bucks just for Photoshop. It wasn't the right. They had the creative, not creative. They had the uh, the creative suite. Is that what it was called? I think it was the yep. suite. CS. The, that yeah, it was the first. It was the Creative Suite when they brought them all together with Illustrator and yeah. InDesign and a few other things. You had the Creative Suite, and then you had different packages of Creative Suite. Yeah. That you could also get the Video Editors Bundle, which threw in Premiere and, and whatnot. And they had these massive boxes. You know, they're like eight inches by twelve inches <laughs> by whatever or, or bigger. And these they sold them these massive boxes because they came with all the the books as well, Dif different day for sure. Yeah, and, uh, with, with so how they were distributing software. Just Photoshop was, I think, seven hundred. But if you got the whole suite, you were thousands to get into yeah, fifteen hundred or yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. And and then Lightroom, if I remember right at the time, I think it was about eighty bucks to buy it, and it was somewhere around forty, I think, to stay up to date. Like as uh, new releases came out, you could upgrade for about forty bucks. So that was very, way more reasonable to me mm -hmm. as a hobbyist, just getting into this stuff. And uh, it had way better capabilities than Windows Photo Gallery. So it was easy for me to justify, like, I can spend the 80 bucks and get Lightroom. And then on the upgrades, I'll decide if there's new features 
that are worth it, then maybe I'll spend that 40 bucks, but at least I can get into that. And, and that was a pretty easy thing. And, and so I, I guess Adobe did a good job back then of being able to like draw people into their ecosystem saying, well, we'll get you going on Lightroom. And then if you, when you decide you want Photoshop and you will, then yeah. you're going to pay for it. <laughs> it's a big deal. Uh, but that enabled me to shoot raw. Uh, I'm pretty for sure when I got in, it was version four, Lightroom version four. Hmm. Um, but there's no way I could afford $700 for Photoshop. That was not going past the Harmon Finance Committee for, right. for, for buying that. So uh, I stuck with Lightroom for most everything. And I was jumping in and trying to learn everything I could about Lightroom. And then there were occasional things where I couldn't do something in Lightroom I wanted to do. Then I had to hop over into GIMP again. And it was much harder to find help on for GIMP to do stuff. I could find all kinds of tutorials and help on how to use Photoshop to accomplish a specific thing I wanted to do with the photo. Not as much for GIMP. So I'd stumble around trying to figure out because GIMP's not one for one the same. The, the tools don't look the same. They don't function the same. It, it's different enough. You couldn't just translate a, a tutorial from Photoshop over to GIMP. And so it, it was a real struggle. Um, it was a little later. I think it was a little over a year, something like that. I discovered no one had pointed this out to me at the time. I guess I really wasn't talking to that many people about it anyway. But I discovered I actually qualified at the time for student licensing of Photoshop. And I can't remember how much it was to do that. But I think it was something like 50 bucks to get Photoshop um, and you just, it was a perpetual license. So that's like such a massive discount, $700 mm -hmm. down to 50 bucks. And I was like, oh, this is going to work perfect. Now I'll be able to actually use Photoshop. I'll be able to, to learn how to use Photoshop. And, uh, and of course that's Adobe's strategy was really good there too. Cause then I also knew my situation that allowed me to qualify for student licensing, that wasn't going to last very long. And right. so, um, so I knew like, if I wanted to get the next version, it was going to be really expensive. So I was like, uh, in my head, I was thinking, I'm probably going to have to stay here a long time. <laughs> I don't know that, that I'm going to be able to afford the upgrade and, and well, be able to do it. And that's what I did. When I graduated, I had a, a student copy and I held on to that for a very long time until I was effectively forced to upgrade uh, when I switched to digital capture. But uh, boy, I forget. It was, it was, I think Photoshop five is what I graduated school with. And I kept that until 2007, uh, when I, uh, finally switched over to, to digital capture. Uh -huh. So I, I started probably around 2013, I think sometime in 2013, I think it had to have been a little early in 2013, uh, because of what we're going to talk about next. And that is the transition to the Creative Cloud subscription. I went back and forth on even including this in the episode because uh, I know it is a hot button topic for a lot of listeners. I see it discussed constantly in our Facebook group or anywhere else, that any forum where photography is talked about. People just saying how much they despise subscription models and 
um, I decided it's we should do it, it partly because we have people who are either new listeners to the show or listeners who are new to photography or both. And they're kind of facing the decision today right now, like, what should I do with my software? Um, there's some free tools that are available. There's certainly a quite a, a number of options for processing your photos today. There's lots of big players. Um, Adobe doesn't have near the stranglehold that they used to. It's still the major player for sure. There's still more help resources, I think, available for the Adobe products than the other solutions. But there's some good options available for sure. So, you you, you know, someone listening today, this subscription thing is it enters into the discussion about what they're going to do. And so I, I decided in the end, we kind of, I think we should, we should go there and talk about it. So in June of 2014, Adobe had a new release of what was an upgrade. They, they replaced the CS6 version, the creative suite version of their products. And they called it the creative cloud release. And then, but they offered both a subscription model and they said you could still do the perpetual model with that initial release. They were giving you a little bit of time there to decide between the two. And so this, the, the perpetual model, the pricing was pretty much the same as it was for CS6. They, they had the same kind of pricing models available. Um, um, but you could do a subscription model, which was way less upfront money. But of course, you're paying every single month to... Uh, subscribe to the software and people could see the writing on the wall too as soon as that was released they're like yeah the perceptual licensing was going to be gone even though adobe never said that initially uh everyone could tell like yeah, there's no way they're not going back so and they didn't <laughs> and they got rid of the, per the um, perpetual licensing altogether and then and this is such a tough topic because people have subscription fatigue it's that's a like a real thing there's it good there's good reason for it yeah, I, I heard this term, I think the first time, literally just a little bit ago. And I was just like, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> the subscription just, everyone's trying to, you know, get that little trickle out of you every month. And right. it's just like, I, I hear you. I, under, I understand there's a problem. It just means we have to think about the value that those right. things provide for us. Yeah, everything these days seems to be doing the subscription model. It makes sense on the on the uh, product side, the the company side of things, that makes a ton of sense to have constant, consistent income coming in instead of like these these time frames when something brand new will be released. You may get a whole a really big bump in income, and then right. you gotta like plan really well and work really hard to survive off of that until you can get the next release out the door. Uh, but but you have everything. You have the video streaming, music streaming, apps for your phone. Most of them need subscriptions now. But in other stuff too, like I, I bought my daughter a karaoke machine just a little bit ago. And you could get a few songs loaded up on the thing for it, it, that was included in the cost of the initial cost of buying it. But they really pushed you towards a subscription service so that you can access thousands and thousands of songs. Uh, or there's another good example is my treadmill. I'm on this thing five times a week, right? And I spent a lot of money on this treadmill. And every time I get on it, it has this super annoying screen that I have to dismiss telling me that or encouraging me, trying to market to me. I don't know what you, the term would be saying, um, you know, get this subscription to this like fitness plan service that they, they want you to subscribe to. 
And I, every time I, the, the only you dismiss the screen with this little itty bitty link in the lower left hand corner that says I don't want to do this, and I had to hit that every single time. There's no way to turn it off. Oh, so, that's annoying. <laughs> so it, it, I get why there is subscription fatigue. I have the same subscription fatigue. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Five dollars <laughs> here, ten dollars there. All of a sudden, you're paying like hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. For services and some of them you may not even use. You subscribe to something because you had a, a like a specific purpose for it, thinking you're gonna go cancel like as soon as your specific purpose is done and you never do. And there's not like a central place to track this stuff. It, you you really have to kind of look through your credit card bills <laughs> to see about it. It's I get I get why it's a problem and why people really, really don't want to pay subscriptions. I didn't buy, I'm not buying the subscription for the karaoke machine. I'm not buying the subscription for the treadmill. So I'm, I'm definitely saying no to some subscriptions as well. But I have to say that for me personally, I kind of see why software subscriptions make sense this way on both sides for the consumer and the producer of the software. Uh, maybe because because I'm a developer, and uh, so I have a soft spot for them. It makes me blind here, but I, it seems to me like <sighs> software developers have a really tough thing to balance. They want to spend their time and energy making good software. It's going to benefit users, and that means they need to charge a price for the software that's going to make that work. And if you don't have a subscription model, that's going to mean the upfront cost, like $700 for Photoshop upfront cost. It's a big thing for someone to swing, especially a hobbyist who's not doing this professionally. That's a big amount of money to pay upfront costs. And photographers, I think they should actually be able to understand this pretty well to me because pricing is a big problem for us too. We have to price our services. We have to be really careful about not making it so high that we don't get enough business to pay the bills. Or if you price it too low, you're going to be working like a dog and still not be able to pay the bills because you're not bringing enough money in. And and it's, it's kind of tough. And I think a subscription model kind of allows software to be priced with a lower upfront cost and still provide that steady income that the developers need so they have a chance to survive and make it through this that roller coaster of income and none it some of them the the income works they're doing okay and then they they it takes them a long time to get an update out and they die the business goes the, the company goes out of business cuz they they can't make enough money to, to survive so I think that flattens it out, makes it a little more possible. On the other hand, the, the con to the whole model is uh, with this guaranteed income stream, it can lead to complacency too. And I think a lot would argue that's where Adobe sits right now in their mind. Um, because the developer can just like kick back for a few months and be like, hey, I have this mostly guaranteed income coming in. <laughs> if I don't do anything for a couple months, no one's going to know. And it's not going to turn off instantly. People will get fed up with it eventually and, and unsubscribe, but they can be less motivated to work, less motivated to provide updates. And so I, I get, there's lots of problems with it. I totally understand it. But just me personally, I was super glad to have Creative Cloud subscription. I was I was way excited about it because I knew that I could now afford to have Lightroom and Photoshop available to me as a hobbyist photographer, not doing this professionally, not trying to pay my bills from it, just as a something I really have fun with. 
And that investment was was small enough now that this was it was easy to be able to subscribe to that. So I was excited about it. I was excited I could keep up with the latest versions and updates and all the bells and whistles that they offer and have it be something that I could actually afford. Um, Brent, what, what do you think? Where where did you line up on the on Adobe's move to Creative Cloud? Well, it was, uh, I guess, I, I kind of, when it was initially rolling out, I was a little bit conflicted because I didn't know what it would mean for us because I have 30 machines that I manage oh, yeah. and how I would be doing that and looking at that and, and paying for that. But in the end, what they've done is they've actually driven down the cost quite a bit for our costs. So uh, it worked really well for us. Now, when I still look forward to the idea of now, what if I were to not have the software provided for me? Uh, when I look out across the way, I was like, you know, I could see myself spending, what is it, 10 bucks a month for Photoshop? Well, Photoshop and, and Lightroom. And, and, and Lightroom. Yeah. Uh, so, and then they they include a basic amount of you know, cloud storage with that, which is virtually nothing. You have to pay more for more cloud storage if you want to use the regular Lightroom CC, not just Lightroom Classic. Yeah, that's actually a big problem. Uh, I would not do that, I don't think. I still am not a fan of storing that type of work in the cloud, but I could pay that 10 bucks a month. I'm not that jaded or whatever (laughs) uh, against that, I don't think. But I really do like using InDesign, and I really do like using Premiere. And that's where I'm starting to say... I don't know if I want to pay 50 bucks a month. Yeah, it's steep. Going I'm just not sure that would be the value for me. Right. When there are other options that can do the job fairly decently well. So, you know, if I wanted to go let's say for video editing, um, you know, there's the DaVinci, uh, yep, yep. I think it's by Blackmagic. Yep. That's free. It's totally free. <laughs> there's Final Cut Pro by Apple. That's still a perpetual license. And then, you know, you can get discounts and upgrades and stuff. Yep. So beyond Photoshop and Lightroom, that's where I, for personally me, I start to be like, mm, I just don't know if I can convince myself that's where my value proposition is. Uh, and that 50 bucks a month, I would really have to be going gangbusters crazy <laughs> with produ- with producing things for it to be valued. Now, I also use Audition to edit right. the podcast when I'm when I'm doing the podcast, either for here or for Master or for my own podcast. I use Audition. But, you know, again, that's another thing. Would I still use Audition? Would I still use? I use these a lot. But do I use them enough? Right. That's to, to justify 50 bucks a month when I know there's lower cost or free versions out there. So that's where... Yeah, that's where it kind of, I have yet to, as yet, I don't need to make that decision. You know, I'm still employed um, and, and I plan to be. It's just that if that if I were in that position, that's where I think I would have to look other places. I would probably still stick with the Photoshop Lightroom at 10 bucks, but that's about it, I think. Yeah, I, I think uh, the $10 a month photographer's plan is probably the lifeblood of Adobe subscription right now. Uh, Because that's totally reasonable. $10 a month, even so like, you know, Photoshop $700, if I'm remembering the price right. I think you are. Then that's 70 months of subscription service that you'd have to pay to, to, you know, make that even. And Photoshop versions would come, new versions would come out sooner than 70 months apart. And yeah, so, but every two months, every two years, yeah, so, uh, three years at the max, and, but usually every two years. And yeah. yeah, the upgrade probably wasn't $700 every time. It was some fraction of that. But it's still financially probably is mostly evened out. 
and not having that tremendous upfront cost to get access to both tools is uh, was it was a lifesaver to me. I don't know that I could have like if it was still the old model, I probably would have had to find other tools by now because I I couldn't. There's no way I would pay seven hundred dollars for Photoshop. It just wasn't going to happen ever. Well, they do have Photoshop elements, yeah, and that's virtually never ever talked about these days yeah. because it is only ten dollars for the regular Photoshop. But even still, Photoshop Elements, uh, when we were in the perpetual licensing, I never enjoyed that because they changed enough things about it. I was already used to regular Photoshop. It was just like Elements is kind of annoying to use. So <laughs> I never, you know, when, so when I was done with school and I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do? I can't afford the whole thing. And I was like, no, I'm going to stick with this old version of Photoshop and take <laughs> right. it until, you know, the install discs run out or whatever, you know, because if you have to reinstall it, uh, well, at least for Photoshop 3, it was about 18 or 20, three and a half inch floppy disks. Right. Um, and so if you had to reinstall it on some other machine, of course, you were limited because eventually those disks are going to wear out. I think when I was on Photoshop 5, it was a CD install. So as long as you didn't scratch the disk, you'd be fine. But... With that, you know, I was just like, no, I'll I'll stick with my old version as long as it works on the the operating system and that I have, and and just move forward with that. And and I was able to do that for about ten years almost. Yeah, I'm not saying that Adobe is like uh, ingenious here. First off, they're not. They didn't invent this. The it's just following the pattern of everyone else with with subscriptions. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that Adobe is flawlessly executing on this plan because they are not. <laughs> they're, they're not flawlessly executing. I think there's there's definitely enough value being provided for the $10 a month phot- photography plan. Sure. Beyond that, I'm with you. It's probably starts to get uh, it's a lot more questionable. Is $50 yeah. a month to get the the entire suite of products available to you um that that's something that's going to be much more scrutinized and a lot harder for people to to go to for all the other tools but at least the ten dollar a month plan is there if that if they ever removes that i'd be looking for a new tool that's plain and yeah. simple how it would be for me as a hobbyist photographer for sure i can handle the ten dollars a month that works for me i feel like i'm getting enough value even though there's releases that are buggy that's why i'm telling you not to go to them when they first come out <laughs> Even though that's there, even though there's maybe not, you know, whiz bang features that are are earth shaking being released rapidly, it still is enough value and helping me to realize my creative goals enough that it's worth it to me. Everyone's going to have to make that evaluation, though. It's it, just because it's working for me and and for you, Brent, and 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 would be for there's lots who are. If it doesn't work for you, and if, if you are starting out in photography and you'd rather try some of these other tools because you do have other options, then go go do it. Whatever it is, it, it it's a tool. These are all tools. There's no right or wrong answer. These are tools. Find the one that's going to help you. Find the one that's going to help you to create your creative goals. We are going to talk about here the Adobe products far more than any of the others because it's the thing I use, it's the thing I know, and it's the by far the most popular stuff used today. Um, doesn't mean there's not good tools outside of Adobe stuff because there are. There's some really fun tools. Luminar's great. I, I really enjoy using that. It's it's fun. Um, but I spend way more time on it, and that's why we're going to talk about it here. More listeners use it, and it's what I experience. So that's that's yep. why we're doing it. 
Okay, with all that aside now, now that we've spent more than half the episode reminiscing <laughs> and going down memory lane and talking about a, a you know, the, the topic I didn't even intend it for it to be subscription or not. That's not the point of the episode. The point is it's Photoshop's birthday. And uh, to celebrate, Adobe has released a new version of Photoshop here in February 2020. It's version 21.1. Again, I don't recommend you go to it yet. As you listen to this episode, don't do it. I've already seen a few things that have a bug. I'll, I'll mention one specifically in just a second. Um, so don't update to it. If, you, if Photoshop is a major part of your business, you need to wait. Just hold off. All right. So let's talk about some new features. Uh, Adobe made sure to, to uh, offer some new features since it's their birthday and they want to, uh, to have it be kind of a momentous occasion. In fact, they're kind of off, they're, they're launching a social media campaign of sorts. And I think there's a contest. I think you can win some months of a subscription with the contest too. Uh, people tagging photos wherever you're sharing them with, I think it's hashtag P.S. I love you 30 P.S. being the acronym or the short form of Photoshop. Uh, so P.S. I love you 30 hashtagging that. And I think you get in the contest. You could go read about that if you were interested in trying to get in the contest. But I wanted to talk briefly just to end out the show here with these new features, Photoshop on the desktop, what they have. And uh, to start off with is content aware fill. They've made some more changes here. Let me just describe for you what this is. So when I first started using Photoshop, content to where Phil was the magic thing. Man, it, I could not believe how that worked. <laughs> um, that was definitely a nice addition. Yeah. So you may remember, Brent, when they introduced it at all, because the first yeah. version you used probably didn't have it, right? Oh, yeah. I remember telling my students and giving the the, the initial talk about it. I was like... All that stuff we learned in previous years, and it's like, you know, now we can do it in like three minutes or less. <laughs> right. And it's just like, mm, that almost seems unfair. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an awesome tool. All right. So for listeners who may not be familiar with Content Aware Phil, um, it, it's a, a feature that allowed you, the initial release of it, allowed you to make a selection of some kind. You could use the lasso tool to do that or the square marquee tool or however you made a selection. You could make a selection and then you could hit a button or or go through the menus to content or fill and it photoshop the the software would like analyze your photo and try to figure out how to make change the pixels replace the pixels that you had selected in the image with pixels that looked like they belonged um in, in by the surrounding areas kind of automatically magically fill in whatever's there. And it allowed you to do things like removing distracting elements in your photo. You could draw a little circle around a, a wrapper on the ground in your portrait photo and hit content aware fill and boom, it's gone. And for, for a lot of that, it worked really well, like way better than the similar feature that's there in Lightroom with, um, there's a what is that cool called the tool to I don't ever the use spot it spot removal, spot removal that's tool? it spot removal tool yeah the spot removal tool has a heal and a clone function yeah and it works really great for what it's intended to do but it's definitely not as as wise shall we say as content aware fill I use content aware fill to do uh, filling in where b before we had the 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 image warp or whatever they call it in in uh, Lightroom when you do a panoramic. 
if you have those edges, right? You know that where the sky, especially if it's a cloudy sky, just select that item, hit Content Aware Fill, and ninety percent of the time it did awesome. And if it didn't, then I just take the the other tools and and you know shape it up and get it looking right and you know, again, three, four minutes and the whole thing is done. Uh, whereas before it would have taken a lot longer. Yeah. So it was cool. It, you could accomplish the similar kind of look yourself using the various like clone stamp tools and, and spy handling. Some, some of the tools that were there, you, you could do this yourself and try to create it, but it was time consuming and they, they kind of figured out how to automate it, how to have the software do it and do it better than people did for the most part. Um, it wasn't perfect. Like if you, I, when I started using it, um, I would, I would select an area, I'd do a fill and usually at least one little spot of the fill was totally obvious that that was filled yeah. in. And so I just select that little spot and do it again. And second try usually be done, but time, sometimes it take two, three, four, five tries before I ended up with pixels that looked very natural and looked like they were original pixels. Um, so it was really cool because you could do that really fast. And uh, especially if you learn the shortcut, the keyboard shortcuts for it. And it, it was great. Um, then in, a little bit ago, I think it was in 2018, um, they added the content aware fill workspace. And because the, the biggest complaint that people had with the way content aware fill worked was this was just a magic button. You did it. And then the computer, the, the software just did whatever it did. There was no way to tell it what you wanted it to focus on. Where should it pull pixels from? Um, how should they? No options. You just, you circled your thing. You said content aware fill, and then you got what you got. <laughs> and that was it. So they added a workspace so that you could now give some information to the software about what it is you're trying to accomplish with this content aware fill. You could specify an area to where uh, Photoshop should pull the pixels from so that you could say, don't pull them from over here because that that's totally different. That's not what I want in this area. I want you to only pull the pixels from this area. And that was really helpful. That improved the, the result tremendously. And there were a few other ways you could tune it and change and offer help as a human being who has an, a specific objective with a content aware fill, you couldn't tell the software what it is you're looking for. And then it was way more likely that the software would actually come up with something believable in doing that. So that was great. I thought it was a, a really good addition. You could use the other way too, because the other way was, was um, uh, timing wise faster, performance wise faster because it just, you know, did it all automatically. So there were there were times I tried that first and if it struggled to get anything, if I was on like my fifth time <laughs> trying to do content aware fill, then I'd go use the content aware fill workspace. Uh, so I could tell it like, no, seriously, here's where you need to pull the pixels from. Don't pull them. You're, you're screwing this up. Yeah. Um, so, so it was nice to have both options. The challenge with the content aware fill workspace, which they've addressed in this release now was you could give it instruction, but it was a little bit more time consuming. It has to bring up this whole other dialog box and you work in it. It gave you a preview of what you're doing, but, um, and, and you could even like keep moving sliders and the preview would then update the whole process would kind of go, but you really had to like get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to accept what you just did in these changes and have it be applied to my, my image, 
but I know I'm going to have to do this again because it's not quite what I'm looking for. And I can't get there with even all of the options I had to tell it what pixels to pull from or any of the other sliders or buttons that were there. Um, and so I'd, you'd say apply or okay. You'd say okay. It would close the workspace and then I'd be circling stuff and going back right into the workspace to try it again and hone in a little more and make sure that I'm getting the look I want. And that's that was time consuming. So the thing they've changed now is you don't have to close that workspace. There's the, there's an apply button now. You can apply it. It's going to do it. And then you can try uh, some more. You can continue working in the workspace, working with all of the features that are there to tune and customize the content aware fill so that you can get to the point where that you like it much faster. And uh, it, it's a, a an update I'm looking forward to using when I need that tool, when I reach for that tool. What do you think of this one, Brent? I'm definitely very happy with that because especially if you were to make a selection where your selection edge got close to an edge of right. something else that's close to the edge of the object that's when it would really mess up but you still need to get close to that edge or whatever uh yeah this just really makes it spot on it's 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 good yeah i i really am i think this is good it's not earth earth shattering it's not groundbreaking stuff it's you know, just making a feature that was already there a little bit nicer, a little bit faster. And, and they said in their blog post, and there'll be a link to this blog post of all these new features that we're talking about in the show notes. So you can hit that up if you want to find it. But um, they say right in there, like they did this because of so many people requesting that this be something they can do. This trade-off, they, they, people didn't want to have to make this trade-off between the old style content aware feel that was total magic and just go for it photoshop you figure it out which was fast but not it it was you you were having to repeat it over and over and over until you come up came up with something that was good or give up and like go now i'm going to go use the spot tools <laughs> to to get this um it, between that and the workspace which was better but still but slower to do so they they took customer feedback which is a good thing too and I'm not sure, you know, if it was left to me, I would have said, this is the thing I need you to do. There's probably other stuff I would have prioritized <laughs> ahead of it. But that's just, you know, everyone's going to feel like their thing is the thing that's most important. <laughs> of course. Okay, then then there's uh, there's two more features primarily. I guess there's three. Um, the third one is just performance improvements. They just say it kind of generically. They've, they've got performance improvements that they've done. Panning and zooming should feel smoother. You should uh, be able to use large documents a little better. And I definitely feel that. I've got lots of templates I do for sports composites that are really huge. And uh, it is slow, slow to get it to work. So I'm, I'm excited to try that out. I'll see how that goes on, on those performance improvements. But here's the, the other major feature that's included is lens blur improvements. Do you ever use lens blur? Not hardly, but with the way that they've uh, made this update, it's definitely something that I would feel more like just playing around with because I'm sure it's going to be a lot faster to just even play around with it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm liking that. Yeah, so... <laughs> It, it is cool. I have used it a little bit. Um, being a crop sensor shooter, I frequently don't end up with backgrounds that are as blurred out as I like. And so I'm, I'm always playing around with, well, can I, can I draw more attention to the subject of my photo by blurring out an element? And you could try to do that with some like selections and Gaussian blurs and, and it can be pretty good. And sometimes I've had to just because the lens blur thing wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. So I'm kind yeah. of excited to try this out again too. But um, th this was definitely a good way to do it because it... Uh, it it knows the algorithms to be able to manipulate these pixels to kind of simulate 
using different lenses and, and getting more lens blur accomplished. So it, it's been a feature that's been there for quite a while. It's not totally new, but they've improved it in a couple of ways. Um, the primary way was it now uses the GPU. Uh, the graphics processor, your video card in your computer is now being used for this. They've offloaded or they've they've changed the the programming in the in the Photoshop application so that it will now do this on the GPU, which is really cool. I regardless of whether this feature is one I really care about, like lens blur itself is something I care about. I'm really excited to see Adobe doing more and more with the GPU. I feel like they're behind in that area. I think there's other tools that are doing a much better job of leveraging the power of the graphics processor in the computer. And so I'm really excited to see them continue moving in that direction. It gives me hope that they're going to be able to leverage a GPU far more in future updates than they are today. I think they're getting more comfortable with it. This looks like, at least from the, the screenshots I'm seeing, uh, it looks like something that's going to be pretty impressive. And so I'm, I'm excited to go and try it out and see what it is. Um, they show in the example, and again, you can go in the show notes to see it. They're, they have a, a picture of before with it, the CPU, how it looked, and it would do a little bit of blurring. Um, so that I think they took a, a photo of, it looks like a bunch of chest pieces in a kind of a weird angle. And they it looks like the photo probably had most of the chest pieces fully sharp, fully in focus. And um, when they applied the lens blur using only the CPU, it made the some of the pieces in the front blurred out a little bit, but now that they have it on the GPU, and I think there's some new options in this lens blur too that weren't there before, now now it looks way different and they can really accomplish a, a much better result in simulating like bokeh and, and things being in focus, out of focus, a, a smaller focal plane. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, the... They've really, I think this is the, the GPU. I mean, yeah, that's that's perfect. It is going to be faster for by playing around with it. But my biggest problem with it was when I would try to use it, it was just like, yeah, it gives me a blur, but it still just doesn't feel like true blur. Oh, sure. And so they went into with a paragraph <laughs> on this blog post that they, they talked about. And I like one of the last sentences. Several PhDs were involved. They were looking at, you know, how do we how does light first off even behave in the real world? And then how can we cause Photoshop to respect that and to do what we can to replicate that? And then you have these different depth of field adjustments that you can make. They, they say, you know, synthetically adjust the depth of field by dynamically manipulating the blur of a 2d image after capture in milliseconds. That sounds really exciting. So, I'm I'm going to be interested to to play around with this once I get the update installed. Right. Yep. And I'll remind everyone again: if you're if you rely on Photoshop, don't do it yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm going to probably go even several weeks after your your final update because <laughs> right. I always feel like I'm just swimming sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, spring break is coming up and whatnot, but uh, yeah, this would be this would be a good one, I think, for some of those areas that. You know, in the shooting aspect, it just didn't quite make it yeah, or whatever. Right, right. And then, I don't know, even with a panoramic, it, it, it could be fun to try that. Um, I don't know. I'm just, this is a, I really do like this one. Yeah. It, like I said, I, I don't know this is a feature that's a go-to feature for a lot of photographers. Um, right. It, it's probably not something you're thinking about all the time, but it's good to know it's there no. for one. For that yeah. one image that you do come up where you're like, oh, I wish I had blurred something. 
this would be a nice technique to try, a nice tool Absolutely. in your toolbox to try if you ever do come up with that need. I don't think it's a common need. Um, and I'm kind of glad that Adobe played around with this one because it's not a common need. Like if they're going to learn, <laughs> go learn on something that people don't use like every single day across all their yeah. images. Learn on something like yep. this uh, where it's not used quite as much. And now I'm, I'm probably going to hear from someone who uses this every day. But <laughs> but most of us <laughs> Which don't. Which would be great. Yeah, I, I love hearing. That would be hearing. wonderful to hear. Yeah. Uh, they can tell me how it is, that it, why they, they need this feature. But it's a good thing to know for everyone to have. I think it's really positive in the sense of going to the GPU. I'm excited about that aspect more than any part of this. And the, like you said, they, they gave us some insight into there's lots of really smart PhD people who are analyzing how do we take like physics in the real world and bring it into the software so that we can simulate this stuff much, much better. And that's cool. I like that. That's, uh, that's mm -hmm. really, really neat. Okay. The third, really not so important kind of feature. Some people may think this is a massive deal, but, and I like it. I definitely went with the dark mode when I have Mac OS, when that came out, what was it? Uh, it was just before Catalina, right? Mojave. I think, so. I think it was Mojave. Anyway, uh, there's a dark mode support on the Mac. Now Photoshop fully supports dark UI. So yeah. <laughs> there you go. For those of you that that's a really big deal, maybe you'll be way excited, but <laughs> for, for for those of you that don't care, I'm uh, I'll go ahead and lead the way. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Not a big deal. So okay, that's what they they did with Photoshop. Uh, the performance improvements will probably be the most welcome part of this update. I'm kind of excited about Content Aware Field because that is a feature I actually use a fair amount. So I, I'm excited to go and try that out. Any uh, any improvement to it will be great. I just hope they don't ruin it. <laughs> hope they don't make right. it worse. Um, so, but but overall, not not a massive release. So even though that's the Creative Cloud software is going to tell you you've got an update to apply. Just resist. It's not a big deal. You're not missing out on a ton of stuff here. So just hold off. Just wait. When when I give you the go ahead, hopefully it's the the release is good and it's clean and and you'll get the go ahead soon. Then you can play around with this stuff. But for right now, these aren't that big a deal. It's kind of fun to play with at some point, but not a not a huge reason. Like, oh, I need to get in there and use this feature. All right. Anything else there, Brent? No, I think it's good. <laughs> All right, let's close up the show. It was fun to go down memory lane with you a little bit here and, and talk about Photoshop. And hope people, hope listeners enjoyed that. And maybe they're thinking about how they're using stuff too. I don't know. Wait, we'll see what the, the reaction is. Uh, hopefully it's not just a bunch of comments about subscriptions. <laughs> I would especially invite anyone who's, who used Photoshop 1 or Photoshop 2, you know, share a few uh, in, in the Facebook group or whatever, share a few uh, tidbits with us on on how fun it was or how fun it wasn't. I don't know what whatever your your yeah, that, experience was. That, that'll not be fun. I, fun I like challenging our listeners to do something in the Facebook group because we get a lot of a lot more engagement that way. So yeah. for this one, when I post the show notes and the episode to our Facebook group, love to have you in the comments tell us the first version of Photoshop that you remember using. That'd be awesome. Absolutely, that'd be really fun. I think that'd be a fun fun discussion to have out there and uh, people to get engaged with this. So, all right, let's close up with doodads. Brent, what do you have for your doodad of the week? Well, a little more Photoshop love. Uh, we, <laughs> we don't have time to dive deep into exactly how it works, but under the file menu item, there's this thing called generate. And then the only option there is called image assets. It's a thing that you toggle on and off. And I really like using it for creating consistent images. When I need a consistent series of the exact same size of images, that's what I'm really talking about then 
yeah, I can go to, to Lightroom and I can set the cropping on something and I can synchronize that cropping across all images, but maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I have my croppings in Lightroom this way that I want it and I don't want to create a bunch of virtual copies and stuff like that to get on with this consistency going on. So what I do is I open up my series of images all as layers in Photoshop. I then size it the way I need it for the canvas in Photoshop. And then I'll drag those images around till I get the cropping that I want within that canvas size. Mm -hmm. And then the generate assets allows me to take my layer name. Once I have it turned on, I take my layer name, give it the name I want, dot JPEG, dot whatever, you know, PNG, dot GIF. And it'll save in that same folder that the Photoshop document is saved in. It'll save a folder of automatically generated JPEGs, pings, what have you. And if you were to say like .jpg and then the numeral five, then it'll give you an export compression level five. Right. And you still have everything full on in your Photoshop document, but everything is set according to that resolution that you set. So in this case, you know, certain pixels wide, certain pixels tall, at 72 DPI, P PPI, I should say, sorry. And then it just takes that information and, and saves it out automatically and then i've got for what i most recently used it on was my hero images on my website so i was able to quickly crop everything get them all generated get them all in one single folder automatically upload them to the website things were just really smooth i liked it anyway and then the benefit is because you can always look at it and say i'd still rather do it in in, in lightroom because i'm more comfortable with lightroom and that's fine but what if you have to put text on there mm -hmm. now you've got consistent guaranteed consistency for where that text is placed and how it comes through. You would just have to copy whatever, if you wanted that same text on every single item, well, you would be, be making multiple copies because then you have to put it in a group, a layer group, and then you put that layer name in the layer for the layer group. But then all that, whatever is in, in, included in that group, that becomes the JPEG or the GIF or whatever. Cool. All right. Yeah, that's a good, I have used this a couple times. I don't really have a huge need for it, but I have, I have used it before. So good, good tip. I like that. My doodad is also Photoshop related. It just so happens that my good friend, Greg Brent, Greg Benz, I, I can say his name. Yes. <laughs> Greg Benz. He is a good friend of mine. He, uh, he has a, a an extension panel for Photoshop. Some people call it a plugin. It's really, it's an extension panel. Um, for luminosity masking. I've talked about it on the show before a lot, but he has just released Luminzia 8.5. And uh, there's a whole ton of updates and bug fixes and stuff to make it work better in there. It's, it's 40 bucks if you haven't bought it yet. Um, I think the upgrade is free if it's been within the last year. I don't know. I can't remember all it, of his rules. His upgrades have been free for oh, okay. a while. Okay. I mean, I'm talk I, I think I first bought it on versions, I want to say six. Uh-huh. And they've been free ever since. So this is going to be the best 40 bucks you ever spent. There you go. Probably. So not a subscription model. <laughs> and and with the new ver newer version of, of Photoshop 2, you no longer have to reinstall it right. when you upgrade your Photoshop. Right. Like when they had this this major edition upgrades right. where you know we went from like 2019 to 2020, you could have both of them running. Well, it just brought it right over. Yep. Whereas the earlier editions... Uh, we always found ourselves uh, having to reinstall these extensions or whatever else we got going on. So Adobe did us a favor too by just 
pulling that all over automatically. Right. It was when I did that upgrade and I didn't have to worry about Lumenzi. I was like, so much better. <laughs> and Greg has in, I have a link in the show notes to his release notes. So you can see all the updates. There's a, there's a lot of updates that are there. And he has right at the top in big red, bold text, please don't go to Photoshop 21.1, that new release. Like <laughs> there is a massive bug. It's not working. Don't go there. So from Greg, yeah. he's saying with at least if you if you use Lumenzia, even with 8.5, his most recent update, there's a there's a problem and you're gonna want to wait. So from Greg too, he's agreeing. Don't don't go to the latest version of Photoshop if you use Photoshop a lot. Well, and this function worked in previous versions, right, so right. it looks like Adobe broke something. Yeah, they broke something. It happens. Yeah. You know, I've done this. It's I'm not giving Adobe a pass on this because they I think they could do better, but I get why it's not perfect every time. This is hard. This is not easy stuff to do. Um, so. Well, you did mention <laughs> developer complacency as one of those sure, potential items sure. that subscription is bad or whatever. Right. But, you know. Yep. And I, I do think there's a good argument that there may be some of that going on with the Adobe stuff. There, I think there is a little level, a level of complacency. They're not. Uh, I think they could do more, but you know, we'll see. It's still ten dollars a month. Is still I'm still getting value. All right, yeah. <laughs> let's close up the show here. We'll remind everyone, masterphotographypodcast.com is where you will find the show notes. We have an, even have a button on the main menu now. It says show notes so that you can go and easily find them. We have lots of people asked, where can you actually find the show notes? Masterphotographypodcast.com. And then click on the show notes link and you'll you'll see the latest show notes for, I don't know, 30 episodes or something. I can't remember what it is. Um, our Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. You can go search in Facebook to find that. We'll have a link to where you can do that in the show notes. You do have to answer a question to join the group. You have to name a show host. So Jeff or Brent will work and we'll let you write in. No problem. But if you don't answer the question, you don't get in the group. We want listeners only in that group. So that's how you do that. Instagram is uh, at Master Photography Podcast, and I kind of monitor that, but <laughs> I don't see a lot of people hitting us up on Instagram, and maybe it's because we don't yeah. we don't emphasize it that much. But uh, you can find my work jsharmanphotos.com, or you can listen to my other podcast. It's a monthly show, phototacopodcast.com. Just recently released an episode where I talk about the performance implications to Lightroom by using external storage. So I did a ton of testing on that, and I have some good recommendations on what you can do and how how Lightroom performance is impacted by external storage. I'll have my Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook stuff all out there in the show notes too. Brent, where can people find you? So my main website, brentbergherm.com, is the main hub of everything I do. And then, of course, there's latitudephotographypodcast.com. That's where the show notes for my Latitude show happen. And my most recent episode I interviewed had a great discussion with Rick Salmon, a longtime photographer. And it was such an awesome, awesome discussion. So that's out there now. And then you can find me on Instagram at Brent Bergherm. I'm going to have a lot of fun this spring quarter because I'm teaching a class that is basically involves a lot of uh, social media type stuff. But I'm I've decided I'm going to go deep dive with the students on Instagram. Ooh, wow. And so that means I'm going to do it as well. There's there's no way, no better way to learn something than to teach it, I think. Right. right so right. Uh, I'm going to really up my Instagram game uh, starting uh, the spring break and, and throughout next quarter. And then you can find me on YouTube, uh, Brent Bergham photo or excuse me, Brent Bergham photography on the YouTube and of course, the links in the show notes. Links in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you like the show, 
please share the show with other people. The more subscriptions we get, the more it will help us to keep the show going. So please subscribe and share the show would really, really help us out. And we'll see you all again in another seven days. 